In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Maybe you've heard the Bible referred to as God's love letter to the human race. Kind of a acute description. And if it is accurate at all, well then, uh, the passage uh, from 1 John that Lizzie just read is kind of the place where things get really mushy. Um, This is the great wedding passage, or one of the great wedding passages in the entire New Testament, in which the word love is mentioned 29 times. 29 times. And this letter, as uh, it's it's from the pen of the Apostle John, and he's saying a lot about love. You could you could preach sermon after sermon. I want to highlight just three attributes because Christians, as and people who read the Bible, do take from it a message of love. But what love is such a big word? It's such a um, exciting word. It's such a confusing word. So what is meant by love here? Well, first of all, we can say that love is central. John goes so far as to say it is coterminous with God, which is as central as you can get. I mean, if God is the source of all life and God is love, then love sits right smack dab at the hub of meaning and purpose and uh, reality. Now, we kind of know this, I think, instinctually. Uh, The experience of being human is very often one of anxiety over being loved Uh, whether one is worthy of love, uh, finding a person to love, and then how to hold on to that love maybe once you've found it. There's a very romantic movie called Before Sunrise that came out in the 90s uh, with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, and in it the character of Celine turns to this young man that she's met on a train, and she says, isn't everything we do in life a way to be loved a little more? Love is not the subplot in our lives. It is the main thread, even when we obscure it. The uh, essayist Tim Crider, he went pretty far with this theme in his essay, The Creature Walks Among Us. He said, Whenever I overhear someone talking on a cell phone about a new relationship or an excruciating breakup or read the hopeless notes in the missed connection ads, it feels like a glimpse into the secret history of the world. It belies the consensual pretense that the main thing going on in in this life is work and the making of money. He's right. The main thing going on in life is not work. It is not the making of money. It is not art. It's not politics. It's love. Which means if you want to understand people, let alone God, don't focus on what other people think or even what they say. Hone in on what it is they love, because that's where the real action is happening. This is what Augustine meant when he said that you are what you love. And it goes a long way toward explaining the many life transitions that have been prompted by COVID and the pandemic, the divorces and the proposals and the infidelities and the moves and the babies and the puppies. Confronted with our mortality, the true substance of life rises to the surface and we act accordingly. It turns out we will do anything for love. When you see someone who's acting in a way that, you, that, that seems berserk, 
Look under the surface and you'll find something to do with love. So love is central. But secondly, the love John is talking about isn't just a sort of a marshmallow cloud of rom-com cliches. He says that the love that is central in the Bible is the kind that suffers. He says true love is this, not that God sent his son into the world as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. There's something about the way that love is expressed or is revealed or is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, which suffers. You, you know, yeah, we all know the song, Love Hurts. Um, love has a, a power, but the power comes through, somehow is inextricably linked with suffering. I was reading a novel this past week that uh, really honed in on this uh, beautifully. Uh, novel's named Extremity by Daniel Warren Johnson, and it, um, it's a story of a war-torn future landscape in which two rival factions, it's sort of allegorical, they attack one another out of grievance and revenge. You see, the leader of each troop is looking to make the leader of the other uh, tribe pay for harm that befell one of their loved ones. And this cycle, as we see, it's violent, it's surreal, and it's nihilistic. It doesn't seem to have an end in sight other than death. Until one day, one of the groups stumbles into a hidden colony, which is full of survivors of both of these nation factions, but they're living together in peace, not enmity. Now this group is used to their own ways, and so they, they mow down several of the guards in order to get at their prey, but they're ultimately captured, and they're brought before a tribunal of this hidden colony. And they're, they're, you know, afraid for their lives. They think that they're going to lose them out of, uh, you know, retribution. But what happens is this. One by one, the loved ones of each person that they had killed gets up and reads their name and recites a few details about that person. At the close, the colony leader stands up and explains that they have abandoned the way of retribution for the way of love. But it isn't a love that's in name only. It isn't a love that isn't costly. You see, we then watch or we read as the leader takes off his shirt and allows each and every name of the dead to be written in his body, on his body, with a knife. Now it's gruesome. But the aggressors, the guilty party, are completely undone. And for the very first time in the story, hope and possibility dawn. When that leader is later laid to rest, it's revealed that no inch of his body is not occupied by some person's name. You see, those scars were a testament that love hurts. But because it hurts, it has a power that no amount of guns or tanks could muster. It alone could foster peace. So love hurts. Thirdly, though, the love we hear about in John, it is responsive. We hear that since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. Love of others, in other words, is a response to being loved. And this is a core Christian insight. The only thing that generates actual love is belovedness or prior Belovedness. I saw there was a very powerful example of this in GQ of all places. There was a lengthy profile of singer Justin Bieber, one of the most famous people on the planet. 
I did not know this about him, but he was very self-possessed in the article, so much so that the the uh, interviewer asked him how he'd arrived at where he's arrived. Now, Justin has had all sorts of run-ins with the law and uh, drugs and violence and whatnot, but he said something very interesting. He said to this interviewer, he said, there's a quote. I'm trying to remember it. I don't know if it's biblical, but I do. Th- it sticks with me. And the quote is, the comforted become the comforters. Today, Justin says, he thinks of himself as a comforter, in part because he knows what it is to have been the person who needed comfort so badly. He knows what it is to be the man with the guy in the tabloids, his head hung in shame. He asks himself now, therefore, how can I be of service? His new music, the inspirational messages he posts, all of it is addressed in some ways to his younger self, to the kid who was drowning and felt like he'd never be saved. Justin Bieber wants to save that kid now. He wants to talk to him. He wants to tell him that all is not lost. And so, my friends, love is central, love hurts, and love is responsive. The beloved become the lovers, the comforted become the comforters. But this is also where analogies to human love end, or at least where they diverge, because the love you and I evince is a response to being loved, to affection. But the love of God responds not to adoration, but miraculously, to pain, struggle, failure, sin, and fear. This is the miracle of God's love, revealed, embodied, crucified, and resurrected in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is the miracle of grace. It begins where all other options end. The love of God responds not to belovedness, but to resistance, enmity, and even antagonism. And that's how it worked for Justin Bieber. I came to a place, he says, where I was just like, God, if you're real, I need you to help me because I can't do this on my own. Like, I'm struggling so hard. Every decision I make is out of my own selfish ego. And what happened when Bieber asked for help? is that someone or something answered. The voice in his head, the voice that we all have telling us we are less than or not good enough or that our mistakes have rendered us beyond redemption. Well, Justin Bieber says that voice spoke up and it said three words. You are forgiven. And that is the voice of God to you and me today. It is the voice which is central, and it is the voice which is uh, inextricably linked to hurt. It is the God of love whose actions in the world often look like that of a deranged lover, willing to risk it all to win back those who've rejected him. This love absorbs anything you can throw at it, and on the cross it did. So that I might say to you, on behalf of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen.